Welcome to Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, a podcast presentation of Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. This is an episode-by-episode look at the award-winning TV show Friday Night Lights, created by Peter Berg. I'm Stacey Orstano. I played Mindy Collette Riggins. And I'm Derek Phillips, and I played Billy Riggins. Our assumption is, of course, that you, our listeners, have already watched the show. But if you haven't already, go watch Friday Night Lights, which is currently streaming on Netflix and Peacock TV, because there will be spoilers in our podcast. If you want to support our show, subscribe for free to our YouTube channel where you can access exclusive content. We have a YouTube handle that makes it easy to find us. That's youtube.com slash at Clear Eyes Full Hearts. Also, we're continuing to release new episodes of the podcast every other week. That's right. So join us as we recap all your favorite episodes and chat with amazing guests. And answer your questions. Email us what you want to know at clearizefullheartspod at gmail.com. Today, we're talking about Season 5, Episode 6, Swerve. It was written by Ron Fitzgerald and directed by Jonas Pate, our NBC synopsis tells us. A popular magazine hails Coach Taylor as the kingmaker, and a suspicious car accident delays Julie's return to college. Ooh, intrigue. There's a lot to unpack in this episode, but before we get into it, let's answer a few thing questions. All right, Stacey, you ready for this? Our first fan question comes from Lauren Taylor, who writes, I have to preface this by saying that Kingdom, Season 5, Episode 5, is one of my favorite episodes of the series. However, this one scene just bugs me every time I rewatch it, which is right at this very moment. <laughs> what is with the scene where Coach is questioning the hotel, giving them key cards instead of actual keys? He's stayed at plenty of hotels in his life. This isn't a new thing. Other than that, amazing episode. <laughs> Other than that. <laughs> I can actually answer that question. The guy who played the hotel clerk, was he was awesome. He was a really, really funny guy, and we had some great improv stuff with him. And I am telling you, that's just a moment that was improv like, on the fly. There was also stuff about, you know, somebody buying porn. There was a whole improv where Billy had bought hotel pornography on, you know, back in the day, you used to be able to buy porn on your TV in your hotel room. <laughs> I don't think you could do that anymore. I'm in a hotel room right now. I'll check. I'll do some research <laughs> after this and see if, if that's still available for us. But Billy had gotten a bunch of porn in the hotel room. And then Coach is like, wait a minute, what is this? And Coach Taylor, Kyle, started like naming off like random porn movies like Legs, Legs, Legs. What is this? And I go, oh, sorry, that, 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 that's mine. And Billy goes to pay for it. I use a credit card. And then this hotel clerk goes, that the credit card doesn't work. And so Coach wound up having to pay for it. So we were like improving all this stuff in this scene. And like 99% of it got cut, unfortunately. But that's one of the parts that they kept. So don't take that out on Rollin Jones, the writer. He didn't write that. That was us. I also love a curmudgeonly coach where he's still a little like, it worked fine the way everything was. Why do we keep changing everything? I'm definitely that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, I'm trying to think when, yeah, key cards were definitely around back then. Because I, yeah, key cards were around in 98 when I was traveling to New York. That was very specific. I have a specific thing because I remember traveling cross country with a buddy of mine. We'd been on the road all day, my buddy Chris Moreno. <laughs> we had key cards to the room. This is back before cell phones, or before a lot of people had cell phones. They were cell phones. But I remember I, we were traveling cross country and got into this hotel for the night. And I went downstairs to the lobby to call my dad. And I was like, hey, I just want to let you know we got in okay. He's like, all right, you guys be safe. Have a good night. I go back up to the room to get into the room. The key card's not working. So I had to go back down to the front desk like five times because the key card wasn't working and my buddy Chris wasn't in the room, or at least I didn't think he was in the room. 
he was locking the lock from the inside and just giggling hysterically to himself as I was sitting out there and he was looking through the peephole while I was putting the key card in. Well, of course he and was. And it wasn't working. If you knew this person, you'd want to kill him as well. Some of my favorite prank stories that you tell are Chris Moreno stories. It's he's always the Chris Moreno. He's the king. He doesn't stop. I'm 47 years old and the guy still does stuff like this. He's the king of it. He I don't really want to give is. away secrets though because some of them are too good. Some of them are good, yeah. Our next question comes from Dot in Iona, Scotland. Shout out, Scotland. Who says, I was thinking of getting myself a Panthers hoodie because you keep reminding us about merch and I spotted you do overseas shipping, which is cool. I did not know that. But I've just finished episode two of season four. And honestly, I kind of hate the Panthers right now and specifically the influence of Joe McCoy. Totally understand. So my question is, if I buy a Panthers hoodie, will I feel happy to wear it again by the time I get to the end of season five? I'm going to tell you dot. I only have maybe two Lions t-shirts that are from set. All of my other gear and merch is Panther stuff, and I'm super happy with it. I'm the same way. Look, when you're in the midst of the show and you're watching it, like if you're watching season four and season five, there is not a chance you could get me to put on, you know, Panther gear in that moment. Yeah. But once you get out of the show and like once you're past it and a couple weeks past it, yeah, Stacy's right. I mean, 90% of my gear, I've got a Lions hat and I've got a Lions t-shirt, but all my other gear is Panthers gear. Because I want to remember the Riggins and the Saracen and yes. like how I started loving it. And it's yes. the more, I would say, recognizable. Like people would be like, oh, yeah. I love that show. So yes, buy it from us. I literally had a buddy of mine one year dress up as uh, Coach Taylor for Halloween. And he was like, hey, man, do you have any Panthers gear? And I was like, yeah, I've got some stuff. I said, but I've got, like, because I coached uh -huh. as a Lion, I have, like, Lion coach stuff. And I was like, that would probably be better. And he's like, yeah, but I kind of want to be coached when he was a Panther. It's just more recognizable, the blue. It is more recognizable. Yeah, I hear you. I get it. I get it. Get, I get it. that hoodie. Get <laughs> that hoodie. Okay, our final question comes from Hannah O., she says, I'm currently watching season four. I'm on episode 12. Why do y'all think Becky doesn't stop trying to kiss Tim? This is maybe the fourth time she's kissed him and he's told her, no, stop. That was my best Taylor Kitsch. No, no stop. Stop. Eh. Stop. Eh. Stop. Are the writers trying to force a romantic storyline and slash or are they trying to make their relationship seem more substantial than it actually is? That's actually a good question. And we have kind of talked a little bit about this on the show. Mindy actually talks about it in this episode. Yeah, I do think that the writers were trying to I'd have to ask them specifically. I don't know, but I do feel like they were trying to maybe set that up a little bit. He wanted growth. Yeah, he wanted growth. And Becky's too young. We'll talk about that too for me in this episode because I have a scene here where it's like I wanted growth for the character. And that was one of the wonderful things about Friday Night Lights is, you know, you got to have these conversations with the writers where you're like, you know, I feel like it's this or I feel like it's that. And you got to fight a little bit for what you believed in and what you thought. And I think that's part of the reason why the show did as well as it did, you know, because we were allowed to have those those creative differences. So I know from a personal standpoint that Taylor was kind of fighting for growth in those scenes, but I also think that the writers were kind of trying to push that storyline a little bit. And I think by the time the fifth season rolls around, they were like, you know what? We're going with the storyline that Luke is the one that she's going to be pursuing. For me, it goes a little bit deeper than that if we look at character development and mm -hmm. that Becky is constantly searching for validation from men because she never got it from her father. And it's not specifically a Tim Riggins thing. I think it would be any cute boy that was giving her attention and he happened to be there. And also, I will ask Hannah O., would you quit trying to kiss Tim Riggins <laughs> if it was in your face? 
I mean, if he did return the kiss, yeah. Sometimes a you bit, got kisses back. Like maybe you'd keep maybe. trying. I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm gonna keep going. <laughs> yeah, I think it goes deeper. Yeah, I love that he sort of fights it, and Becky kind of just is like trying to kiss his face, and then Mindy yells at her later in this episode. Because I do think that the relationship that she has with him is more of an older brother kind of thing. You know, he like looks after her and takes care of her. And She's never had that. No. So it gets mistaken as is this brotherly love or is this what romantic love is? She's Becky got all these feelings, know. but she doesn't know how to express them. And she expresses them through physical. She's just a baby. It's like my dog. Oh, God. What? My dog Lucy loves our friend Lily, and every time Lily comes over, Lucy tries to hump her. I can't believe you're telling this story. What? It really is just Lily, though. Like, why does Lucy have to dominate Lily? It's not just Lily, unfortunately. There's others. It's not me. She'll just lick my face and pee. Lucy doesn't know how to express herself. She did it to our friend Zach, too, recently. That's dominance, though. I don't know. The smile on her face doesn't say dominance. Or she needs that attention. We have really gone off course here. I don't know what's going on. Okay, Stace, I think we're done with the questions. Guys, please keep sending the questions, and we love having an opportunity to answer these questions from you guys. Absolutely, but Hannah O, please write us back and tell us if she would start trying to kiss Tim Reagan's face. Yeah, I think we need to know the answer to that one as well. Thank you guys so much. Stace, you ready to move on to the rewatch portion? Yeah. All right, let's do it. open up this episode we're given a small opening montage i would like to say just for Derek phillips that's right stacy i think everyone knows at this point in the show that i am very much in love with the montage he's in church sawing logs at the start of the episode just snoozing away or has he just kept partying or is he just like me when i was in high school and i basically slept through we used to call it grown-up church because we'd have sunday school where you go in with like it was like teen bible study stuff oh yeah grown-up church is the word it's just a lot of talking like where's the music there was a clock on the back of the wall because we went to a presbyterian church they always have a clock up oh god i'm catholic we did not have clocks just to let the pastor know that Ooh. hey man you got a heart out at 12 you know oh god we got to switch this around to another church. I'd just church. be sitting there, and my mom would constantly be turning away, like, turn around, because I would look back at the clock. I cannot fathom a clock in church. Yeah. That gives me anxiety to think about. Because mm-hmm. we knew, I mean, at 12, this guy, he's got to wrap it up. And he would, you know. You'd get the benediction, you'd be like, yes. Here we go. Uh, On the back half. I also, I would go to church with my grandma, and it was old school, all in Latin. Yeah. And I was young. I was like five or six. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the most. I don't even know what you're saying. And I'm so bored and I'm not allowed to move. I hate this. You know what's weird? I had this one thought of being in church. My dad was wearing dress socks. And his hairs were sticking out of the dress socks. Oh, no. And I was like 10 years old. And I was like, what's going on? Like, why does dad have all that hair? I thought the hair was like on the dress socks. No. Not coming through. And so I went to pick up the hair <laughs> and like yanked my dad's hair out of his. He's like, ah. In the middle of church, what are you doing? When oh I think God. of like grown up church, that's what I think of. I think of being like so bored, so bored, staring at my dad's like dress socks and be like, why is there all that hair on my dad's dress socks? Yeah. Oh God, so bored. We don't even have a dog. Where's all this hair coming from? Okay, that picture's in my head forever. I've got a lot of non sequiturs today. Hotel keys, <laughs> leg hair, dog humping. Oh my yeah. God. Oh boy. <laughs> Hotel rooms. Okay, Tim. Calls on the phone. Obviously, I hadn't forgotten about Tim, but I was like, oh, God, that's right. 
And then Becky, of course, cannot help herself and is grabbing for the phone and girl, calm down. I would like to give you a little season two, Mm -hmm. I think. It's a scene with just me and Kitch over while he's staying at the Colette house and I have my legs up on his lap. Yes. And this was a little callback for anybody who cares when I threw my legs up on Becky's lap. Thank you very much. You don't throw your legs up on my lap? I definitely have at some point in this show. Not on this show. No, I don't think so. Maybe in real life. Going back to that fan question that we had earlier about, you know, us having the opportunity to be able to talk to our writers and request things. And I specifically, you just said, Stace, like, I feel like we almost forgot about Tim. And at this point in the season, as an actor and as a person, I was kind of feeling the same way. And I was like, guys, I'm really worried that if we don't have a scene with Tim or mention Tim or have Tim call on the phone, that it's going to look like Billy's just completely and totally forgot about the fact that, you know, his brother's in prison for crimes he yeah, committed like is he visiting him is he helping him is it still part of his daily it's thought? like that out of sight out of mind kind of thing and like i just wanted to remind the audience that billy's still very much living with this so i went to the writers and asked them if they could include something like that and sure enough like one episode later bam there it was and i was so thankful so necessary yeah so thankful that that happened good on you though for like even thinking that This is such a part of Billy's life. Well, I was just worried because there's also stuff that happens later in this episode and later in the season that they were telling me about as writers. And I was like, you know, that Billy's going to have this growth or this arc. And I was worried that, like, if we don't mention the fact that Billy's still stressing out over his brother, we don't care about his arc because screw Billy. Yeah, the arc has to start now. Yeah. So I was very thankful to the writers that they included this little scene in there. Yeah, it just reminds the audience, Billy hasn't forgotten about his brother. Billy's still thinking about his brother. Billy's still there. And I think as an audience, we go, oh, there's, there's Tim. There's Tim. I did. We love Tim. Yeah. And that the show in general hasn't forgotten about Tim, even though actually Taylor Kitsch was off shooting John Carter at that point in time. Jerk. Jerk. Left Friday night lights to go in big movies and stuff. <laughs> Cedric Neal is back playing Cunard, and I just want to say scarier than ever. Shout out also to our friend Lily, who we mentioned before, who just saw him in Guys and Dolls in London like two weeks ago. Ooh. I know we'd said this before, Stacey, but it's kind of crazy to watch him because he is totally a different dude in real life. As Stacy said, like Cedric does a bunch of musical theater, so he's like this really lovely, nice guy mm-hmm. who can sing. He will take you to church every time. Yeah, but he's like this musical theater guy, and then all of a sudden he's playing this hard-ass gangbanger, and it's like, dude. It's scary. Yeah, it's nuts. Such a different dude in real life. Because he's like an actor or something. Must be nice. What's that like? Oh, Billy. I would like to say, again, I feel like we got a little bit of a break, but you can basically, again, place bets on Julie doing the stupidest thing possible instead of just being in a bit more of an adult brain and going, oh, I did a stupid thing. I should take accountability for that and deal with it. Nope. I'm going to do the stupidest thing possible instead. (laughs) Yeah, that's just another in a long line of dumb decisions for Julie this season. I wouldn't worry too much, though, because both of her parents are teachers. So, you know, they've got a ton of disposable income. Yeah, mess up that car. Yeah, wreck it. Do whatever you want to it. They're living on a teacher's salary. Also, don't go back to school that they're paying for. Yeah, go spend a, what did she say? Maybe I should go Uh, take a sabbatical in Europe. I'm like, yeah, maybe I should take a year off. Yeah, maybe I should take a year off and go travel Europe. I'm like, are you out of your mind? My best friend Laura was watching this episode with me and she like paused it and she goes, Stacy, 
your brain isn't even fully formed until you're 25. And I was like, that doesn't mean there aren't repercussions to when you do something bad. Like, you still need to get in trouble. You don't learn. And she's like, but. And I'm like, no. Like, we can get in a fight right now over this if you want. No, Julie's being a brat. Oh, she's totally being a brat. She needs to go take responsibility for her stupid actions. 100% being a brat. I also... Frontal cortex. I look back at some of the stupid stuff I did when I was a kid, and I'm like, I, I don't know what else to blame it on. There's nothing else to blame it on, but I'm saying there also you still have to have consequences yes. or else you won't learn when you do get your brain fully 100%. formed. 100%. That's one of the wonderful things about growing up too, though, is that I feel like I got in trouble for almost everything I ever did. Like, I didn't really get away with a lot of stuff. Yeah. Oh, I did. Yeah. I got busted hard when I got busted, but I got away with some stuff. Yeah. I mean, I guess I kind of got away with some stuff. I don't know. My mom always said one of the scariest things about me was that I would look at my options and be like is the punishment worth doing this thing and the answer was always yes and it terrified her or sometimes i'd be like nah not really i'll wait till the next one but this one i'd be like yeah i'm gonna get grounded for two weeks but it's so worth it to do this thing i would do the same thing and it used to frustrate my mom because they got to a point where they couldn't punish anymore i remember coming home from church speaking of church again but coming home from church one time when i was like 13 years old and i'd done something wrong in church i can't remember what and my mom said when we get home you're getting a spanking I was 13. My older brother in the back seat, he goes, dude, when they spank you, don't make a sound. Don't cry. Don't do anything. And I go, what? And he goes, trust me. They'll never touch you again. <laughs> oh, my God. Did you do it? Yeah. So we got home. My mom spanked me. And I was like, that's it. And oh, she, like at that point, she realized this isn't working anymore. It's a form of punishment. And she never spanked me again. Oh, God. I think it might be different if it was today because they couldn't, like, take away. I don't think people spank anymore. No, but they take away, like, I didn't have a computer for you to take away. I didn't have a cell phone for you to take away. I didn't have, like, my lifeline to my friends and the internet for you to take away. Maybe if I had that, it would be more scary to me. But, like, grounded, whatever. My mom used to spank us with wooden spoons. Oh, I never got spanked. Yeah, my mom used to spank with wooden spoons, and then one year for Christmas, she asked on her Christmas list she wanted more wooden spoons, and I was like, I am not going to provide you. With, Absolutely not. Provide you with your ammunition. <laughs> I'm sorry that you keep breaking wooden yeah, spoons. Yeah, keep breaking wooden spoons <laughs> on my ass, and you need. I'm not going to buy more for you. You out of your mind? My principal in elementary school, I guess it was just a scare tactic, but he had three paddles up on his wall in his office, and one of them had a bunch of holes in it. And my dad was coming to just be like a guest speaker that day for my class to talk about his job, and he went and said hello to the principal, and he was like, oh, hell no. Those are coming down right now. And I was like, oh, it became like a thing. Yeah, so it was wooden spoons when we were like little kids, and then when we got older, dad had an old fraternity pad. Yeah. I got spanked with my dad's ZBT fraternity battle. That's what they're for. Ugh, not fun. Not fun. Not fun. And again, not fun. Kids having bad luck. And meanwhile, don't call social services on my mother here, please. No, don't. FNL podcast listeners. I think the time has run out on that. All right. Poor Luke. He was so excited. His dad was finally excited about him going and playing football and like everything had changed. And now he finds out it's all a big bunch of... Crap. Yeah, this is an uncomfortable scene. I'm sitting here going, poor Luke. I'm also going, poor coach. I feel terrible that he's having to have this conversation with yeah, the kid. Yeah, sucks. Talk about uncomfortable. I mean, it's just, yeah. And Vince, you dummy. Yeah. Who smellbox did you poop in in Coach's first season? Because I married you. Coach's mailbox. Is this a thing? Did we know that? Or is this like what... You decided Billy's story was. I think we improv that. I think the line was supposed to be, yeah, I pooped in a mailbox once. And Kyle 
looked at me and I was like, sorry, coach, I, I didn't realize that was your mailbox. So it was supposed to be just a line where Billy says, I pooped in a mailbox once, but then Kyle played it like, that was my mailbox. And I was like, oh crap, I didn't put two and two together that it was actually coaches. It's funnier that way. 100% funnier. Here's a funny little moment in that scene. So what happened is we improv that. As I said, on paper, the line was written, I pooped in a mailbox once and then somebody says I did such and such. And then that was basically the extent of it. But then Kyle jokingly looked at me and was like, that was my mailbox. And he improv that basically. And then when he made all the kids run, he said, Coach Riggins, you can take a lap with him as well. And I literally ran around the field because I was being punished for pooping in his mailbox in season one. So it was all this stuff, this one improv that kind of went all that way and it, all of it got cut. But this also, I remember specifically this day having this conversation with Kyle because we're in the fifth season of the show. Kyle's got to play straight man all the time. And Kyle's a funny dude. He's so funny. He was like, man, I would just love to be able, like, he was just digging some of the Billy stuff. You know, he was loving that Billy got to be this idiot and say stupid stuff. And he's like, man, it's like everything. After a certain amount of time as an actor, if you're playing a part for a few years, it's like, I would love to be coach. Coach would love to do some idiotic Billy stuff. So we'd improv this stuff. A lot of it got cut, but we just kept playing all the time. Question. Yes. In your mind. How? How did you poop in a mailbox? Or did you poop and then put the poop in the mailbox? I can't work out the physicality of getting up there. Unless it's like out of a car window, maybe? I'm assuming he pooped in something and then put it in a mailbox. Or I, I don't know. That's easier, but it's less fun. Also, I don't love the premeditation of that. I like the spontaneity of like, oh, I'm going to poop in that mailbox right now. Well, no, I think it was he pooped in the mailbox because Coach lost a game. I think that was the intent. Right. But I'm saying the premeditation of here's this Ziploc bag. I'm going to say it was like drunken premeditation. That's too much forethought. I don't like it. You don't like it? Also, what if that wasn't you, but just a lot of people were pooping in Coach's mailbox? I don't know. But there was like a cut where Billy was literally running around the field with the kids as a form of punishment for pooping in Coach's mailbox from season one. I thought all that stuff was hysterical. I'm really upset that all of it got cut. But there's a lot of stuff, guys. I mean, if they kept in all the stuff that we improved, like this show would be four hours long. But it would be funny. It would be funny and it would also be a deconstruction of the show. A ton of stuff cut from this episode too, actually. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of how it works. You know, you have more stuff in an episode. Like when you have more scenes, you're going to have more cut. It's just the way it goes. So what they did leave time for was the smartest character on our show, Julie Taylor, saying the word supposedly. And I wanted to ram my head through a wall because I hate it so much. You hate supposedly? Supposedly with a B. I think if you go to a library, you might find out that supposedly is a word. Supposed. There's a, it's a D. Don't go nuclear, Stacy. Oh my God, I hate you. Okay, but I do have to say, Tammy's taken this story in stride. Yes. This is when I love her maternal side where she just sits and lets Julie talk and she's like, yep, okay. Yeah. I said I'd be calm. This is me being calm. Coach, maybe not so much calm. You know, in watching this scene, I think Coach is obviously upset with Julie and he's hurt by what she's done. But I think more importantly in this scene, he wants to kill this TA. Like, he wants to go find this guy and beat the crap out of him. I can only imagine as his father what that would feel like. And I don't blame him. I don't blame him at all. I don't blame him. Yeah. But then also the ramming of the car oh, into the mailbox. And yeah. it's like, 
not enough to hurt herself. She does it just enough because she only wants to hurt the car so that she has to stay home while the car gets fixed. Yes. Like there was, again, so much forethought into this. And Tammy asked, like, what are these choices Julie is making? And I'm going to go hard on Julie this episode. Like literally, though, what are these choices you're making? Did you ever do anything? I mean, I never did anything like that, but like. Oh, my God. No, anything that would cost my parents money like that. I mean, I definitely did stuff that cost my parents money, but not intentionally. Not on purpose. Yeah. Like not intent, but intentionally though to yeah. either gain that kind of attention which is bad attention which i hate anyway i yeah. hate attention anyway but like anything that would make my parents have to spend money oh my god no yeah i have guilt from like you know failing classes in college or not even failing because i just wasn't smart enough but because i didn't go you know what i mean i don't know what you mean but go ahead did you never do that i did not fail anything i did god no that wasn't allowed yeah like i had like what they would call like a withdraw fail in college i went to university in london though like if you failed a class you failed that semester so oh, that really? it wasn't allowed no yeah. i went to college in the u.s where d was for diploma <laughs> i would like to tell you that this line that mindy has in the store that rhinestones make her look trashy I was thinking back and like, I never wore rhinestones as Mindy. So I would just like to talk about standards. I love it. It's a great line because rhinestones make you look trashy. Leopard print bras, nothing. No, totally fine. Yeah. It's seven inch acrylic heels. Wings on the back of your wedding dress. Not trashy. Mindy has a line and I appreciate the standards. <laughs> I do want to say that I love the contrast between the wonderful advice that Tammy is giving to Julie and the terrible advice that Mindy is giving to Becky. She's like, you should have sex with Luke again. It's like, you got pregnant the last time. Mindy doesn't know that, by the way. Oh, she doesn't? Mindy doesn't know. Ooh. I don't have that information. Interesting. It does come from a caring place because she just wants Becky not to be with to Tim. To be fixated on Tim because she knows that it's not going to happen. Yeah. I get it. It's misplaced, but yes, from a good place, maybe? That's, yeah, that's where Billy and Mindy both are, are very similar is that I think they have good intentions. They just really don't know how to go about doing it. Absolutely. Because that's what we would have done. <laughs> yes. I do want to say also that in this scene that comes immediately after that, Tammy is definitely like the definition of unconditional love. I look back, as I said before, on some of the really stupid things that I did in my life Name them. <laughs> it amazes me that my family still loves me, specifically my dad. I don't have kids, so I don't know that I love anyone unconditionally like that. There is condition to my love. Yeah. You pissed me off enough. See you later, buddy. Here's something that I did. I used to smoke cigarettes, Stacy. okay? And here's like a prime example of unconditional love and just my grandmother. I come home from college one time. I'm staying at my grandmother and grandfather's house. I was a smoker. I had a pack of cigarettes in my pants. I go in. I take a shower. My grandmother throws my stuff in the laundry. Oh, no. Like, that's my grandmother. Like, the minute you take your clothes off, she's washing them. Nothing was on the floor for more than, like, 20 seconds. She washes my clothes, and she leaves my cigarettes and my lighter laying out with my wallet. Oh, she didn't wash them. She didn't wash the cigarettes, no. Good on you, Grams. But she goes, are you a smoker? And I said, no, I'm holding on to those for a friend. <laughs> she totally bought it. Totally bought it. Or did she want to buy no, it? No, I think my grandmother, God bless her, this is what I'm talking about, unconditional love. I'm telling you right now, if I called her tomorrow and said, hey, Mammy, I killed somebody, she'd say, all right, how are we going to hide the body? Yeah, absolutely. I don't love anyone that way. I don't. 
If you called me tomorrow and said you killed somebody, I'd call 911. I would rat you out in a second. I don't believe you at all. Try me. No, we've already admitted. Annie and I have fully admitted we could murder somebody and completely get away with it. You we could murder serious? Yeah, we said this at the You'd live murder episode. murder me. Annie and I could murder you and get away with it. Even me admitting on this podcast now that I could do it, if we did it, we'd still get away with Is it. Is it because of all the true crime crap that you guys watch? Absolutely, because we watch a ton yeah. of documentaries and true crime stuff. We know how to hide everything. I don't know how I feel about this. You should probably do some thinking about your life and your choices. My loyalty to you. Mm -hmm. I will help you, Stacy. Just don't kill me, please. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't kill anybody else either. Jesus. Jeez, Rules. Oh what do we got next? What's what's next here, Stace? What's next on the agenda? It's just Friday Night Lights. They make me fall in love mm -hmm. with friendships and relationships. And I go on the roller coaster. Yes. And Vincent Luke had a really hard time at the beginning. And I didn't think that they were going to form a true friendship. But they did. And now Luke's going to be a little bit of a brat. Take it out on Vince. Remember when I told you on the last podcast when we were talking about the Kingdom episode and how the guys bonded and everybody's getting along. And I'm like, you know that's not going to last. But uh, you know it's not going to last, Stacy. This is Friday Night Lights. It's two steps forward, one step back, always. Come on. I don't know. Yeah, I was just watching this scene just going, Luke, stop being such a hater, man. It's not a good look. It's not a good look. It's not Vince's fault. No, not at all. It's not even Luke's fault. It's no. just life, but like, ew. Yeah. You're a little ew right now. Yeah, definitely. I did actually yell at my screen, hey, Kennard, get your damn hands off Journey. Yeah. It's not Journey, but in my heart, nobody lays hands on Journey, so I was like, nobody gets your hands off her. I kept hoping watching that scene that somebody, you know, like Marvel movie-esque, like somebody would come in and bust up that scene and put Kennard in his place, but unfortunately that didn't happen. Like maybe her dad would show up back from Dallas. Or just somebody, yeah, bust him in the back of the head. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, he gets it later a little bit. So. He gets his comeuppance a little bit he later. He gets comeuppance. Yeah, but yeah, that's what I yelled at my screen because my love for Journey knows no bounds. I would help her hide a body, Derek. I think that maybe you just want to hide bodies. This is starting to become something I'm a little worried about. This is creepy. Anytime that my friends do this, I say this line and it will never stop being funny. You have a baby at a bar. Yeah. <laughs> it's from Sweet Home Alabama, and it never stops being funny except me. Uh, it's me this time, and I have a baby in the back of a strip club, like you do. Let's not judge Billy too much for pooping in Coach's mailbox. You're not exactly mother of the year over here. I did put on hand sanitizer after I danced before I picked him oh, up. Oh, look at you. You're so grown up. That's something. I didn't notice the hand sanitizer. That's a good move, though. Something, and I just didn't want to be away from my baby for too long. And the this in the kid loves boobs, and he's surrounded by boobs. Babysitters are expensive. I know, even though I have one there in Becky, she just comes with me. Yeah, Sometimes. bring your babysitter to the bar. It's a baby at a bar. <laughs> okay, Luke comes over, drool, <laughs> looking for Becky. You take him to the backyard, which, by the way, good on you, not letting him drive. Billy has some good qualities. Some. The pool is gone. Yeah. It's just a full backyard, and I would like to say that in my head, it's because you and I are such good parents that we covered that pool up so that our son would be safe. Mm -hmm. Keep telling yourself that. <laughs> I don't know what actually happened to the pool. I mean, they did cover it up. It was really crazy. Like, there was this gross, empty pool for years, and then we got back on that location. All of a sudden, pool's filled in, mm -hmm. and now we got a backyard. I would love for somebody to excavate that pool or something. So gross. Derek, where do you think my dead bodies are? Oh, my God. Shut up. Oh Shut God. up. Oh, God. That's exactly where Derek they're. Derek Phillips. Oh, this is all making sense now. 
this scene with you and Luke, I had not seen it before. Just also me loving you and Matt Loria as much as I do. It made me very happy. I love, hey, Mr. TMU. And I love your war cries at the end of the phone call. This is a crazy scene because this is the day, I think we've talked about it before. I got a phone call from Nan Bernstein, who's the line producer on Friday Night Lights. It was like a Tuesday. I wasn't supposed to work again until like Thursday or Friday. I hadn't memorized this scene yet. And she called me and she goes, hey, Michael B. Jordan had to go to the hospital. I think he had food poisoning. I can't remember what mm-hmm. it was, but he got really, really sick or maybe he had the flu. But it was so bad. I mean, Mike's a tough dude, and it was so bad that they had to take him to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And she was like, is there any way you can come in and shoot this scene today? Blah, 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 blah. Otherwise, we're not going to get anything in the can, and we've got to get some stuff shot. And I was like, I can, but man, I don't know any of the lines in this scene. It's an actor's nightmare is what happened. Yeah, truly. I showed up. Thank God on Friday Night Lights we could improv some stuff. I feel terrible to the writer of this episode, to Ron Fitzgerald, because I literally was just paraphrasing. I am just pulling stuff out of my butt, literally, to just try and get through this scene. So some of it was scripted. Some of it was just me. I think the line I had about being the littlest guy on my team, (laughs) that was an improv of me literally in real life being the littlest guy on my football team. It was a crazy day. That's also the day that you and I wound up driving Mike's car back to him. Yeah, and it caught on fire. I don't remember it catching on I like to say caught on fire. Overheated, maybe. It yeah. overheated so much that we couldn't drive it. But you guys, we talked about this before. Yes. We were going to go, Mike got this very cool new vintage car, and we were going to go soup it out with like dice for the mirror and candles for the back and like fringe for the windows and just be so stupid at the dollar store. And before we would hand it back to Mike when he got out of the hospital, but then it overheated and the Teamsters took it over and they were like, get I out of the car. I remember that. You know what? It's funny because. I think we've already had this conversation on the show, and I said, I don't remember that, and now I do. Yes, Mm -hmm. I do. I think I already said that on the previous podcast, too. I'm just here to remind you of things. Remind me of things that we talked about a month ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was definitely a crazy, crazy day, and it turned out to be this really kind of fun scene. I love it. I love it. But I was literally like, I don't know if I can do this. It is an actor's nightmare, not knowing your lines, you know. It is literally the actor's nightmare, though. I've only known actors to have this, but we'll have actual literal nightmares where, for me and the people I know, it's you're pushed on stage Mm -hmm. into a show that you are not rehearsed for, and you're in front of a huge audience, and you just have to, like, figure out what you're doing. And, like, yeah, it's a true actual nightmare that we, all of us collectively have. It stinks. Probably have one a month yeah an actor's nightmare once a month wake up cold sweat just a dream just a dream paranoia man for me it's always the musical rent mine's cabaret it's always cabaret and i've done cabaret twice but i don't know this production of it so like when am i supposed to dance and when am i not and i'm pushed around stage and like so weird i know rent i've seen rent a couple of times i don't know it backwards and forwards though and it's always like somebody's pulling me up on stage and they're like you know the words right i'm like Mm -hmm. i don't i I don't and they're like you've seen it multiple times and i'm like but i don't i don't know it and they're like come on yeah that doesn't mean i could and i get up there and there's critics in the audience sometimes i'm naked it's always it's a variety of different the Awfulness. other night at Shucked the Musical <laughs> on Broadway, it was when, oh, guys, we had the worst air quality I've ever seen from the Canadian fires that were down here in New York. It was awful. So a bunch of actors couldn't breathe and couldn't sing. The lead in the show, her name is Maisie, and she was out. And then one of the understudies was sick from another thing. So the writer of the show and the director of the show both took turns with book in hand on stage playing the lead character. I've never seen that before. It's actually pretty cool. That's crazy. Very cool. Okay, FNL. Yes. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. 
Vince. Vince is turning into my Saracen where I just keep saying, give the kid a break. He is working so hard. He is becoming this person with the biggest heart and taking care of his mom. And this scene with his dad is actually very sweet. Yeah. I'm impressed with what they're both putting into it. Mm -hmm. But I also know that there's no way that this lasts. Yeah. I really love the storytelling here. Just from a strict storytelling standpoint, we've kind of had this whole entire arc where Vince comes into this situation with Coach in season four against his will, doesn't really understand this guy, doesn't trust the guy. And over the course of the last year and a half on this show, he started to trust Coach. And then now he has this opportunity to tell Coach about the money that he owes or to tell his dad. He literally shows up at Coach's doorstep. He's about to ring the doorbell and he thinks better of it. And then he goes to his father. So his dad, he's replacing Coach in that respect. And I think that this is going to have some ripple effect as we move forward on the show. There's something about it, too, where he like has that trust in his dad. Yeah. As well, which again sets him up for failure later if things fall down. There's just the stakes are super high right now. Yeah. Julie, this whole episode, I'm over it. It's just these flashbacks to the old bratty jewelry. Jewelry? Jewelry. It's just these flashbacks to the old bratty Julie we used to talk about. And we were so impressed with like when she grew up and she was making smarter choices and she's such a smart girl but nope she's just being a brat again yeah it's hard to watch this stuff i hate it i hate it because it reminds me of being a child when she slams that door god see i wasn't even allowed to do that i would get in so much trouble we weren't allowed to do it we did it but i just it makes me just want to call my parents and apologize i was a brat i do that sometimes kid man i really was was. especially to my mom yeah I mean, some of the things I said sometimes, just mean. Terrible. I said mean, mean things. Terrible yes. stuff. Stuff that you can't take back. But talking about unconditional love, once again, like anyone talk to me like that in my life, I'd be like, we're done, dude. See you later, pal. But my mom, oh. although she did used to beat me, so I guess. <laughs> With a wooden spoon. Yeah. Okay, I gotta say, I do love that the coaches decide who's gonna give us this pep talk since coach isn't here. Hmm, Billy. Billy's the choice, except that you get up there and you're giving me some real, like, John Voight Varsity of Blues vibes here. The only reason Varsity Blues even exists is because they couldn't get the rights to Friday Night Lights. But anyway, long story short. I love Varsity Blues. Okay, Stacey. Jesse Plemons is in Varsity Blues. So what? Jesse Plemons is in Friday Night Lights. Jesse Plemons is in everything. That's true. This was a really cool moment doing this scene because Jonas Pate, the director, he and I kind of disagreed in this moment about how this scene should be played. So the first time we did it, I did it the way it is in the episode. And he was like, yeah, he's like, don't you think uh, it should be a little bit more comedic, blah, 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 like Billy's kind of fumbling. And I was like, I said, no, man. I said, I think that the arc is that Billy is kind of growing up. You know what I mean? It's two steps forward, one step back. But maybe this is actually something Billy's good at. Man, maybe. You know, for the first time. And I think we see that maybe he knows what he's doing a little bit. And that we're seeing some growth from the character, as we said before. I can sit up there and play him as a dummy nonstop. Billy's going to be a dummy. There's going to be plenty of more dumb Billy moments throughout (laughs) the episodes. But let him have this one dignified moment. And I kind of met him halfway. I said it. The first part of it, the first part of this little monologue, I'll stutter and kind of my way through it. But then I want him to get rolling. And then it kind of works. And when Coach Taylor comes in yeah. and he's like, you boys ready? Or whatever he says in that moment and kind of gives Billy Let's a look. football. Yeah. He gives Billy a look, like kind of a well done kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It was this weird moment for me, both as an actor and as Billy, because it was kind of Kyle Chandler giving me like yeah. that, hey man, 
well done, good job, doing my job. Which we all want. Of course, man. I respect him so much as an actor. It was such a kind of fantastic moment for me, Derek Phillips, but also for Billy. He's getting the pat on the back from his mentor, and I was getting mm. the pat on the back from my own mentor in real life. Oh, so it was a really sweet. cool little scene. And I'm so thankful that Jonas, the director, kind of let me play with that and have that moment. It was great. Yeah. Because at the beginning, I was like, oh, no, not Billy, not Billy. Really? Oh, wait. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I, okay. I'm glad that we kind of turn it on its head that way. And that's how I had interpreted it always as an actor. But I guess, you know, sometimes you get in there on the day and you're like, the director just saw it very differently. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad that he let me play with that. And I'm so glad that he allowed me to kind of find my way through that monologue. And that's what we decided to go with. I still have that monologue on my reel. As an actor, it's one of the things that I kept on my reel just because I don't have a lot of Friday Night Lights stuff on my reel anymore because I'm old and I don't look that way anymore. It's a good one. Yeah. I love Chris Williams so much. Yeah. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. I've been a fan for a very, very, very long time and was very excited when he came on our show. And my God, my heart rate, which I don't need help with, was skyrocketing in this scene yeah. with him and Kennard with Cedric Neal. Oh, God, this was a good scene. Dude, 100%. And I love, once again, what the writers have kind of done is we know Ornette's history. You know what I mean? But all we know of Ornette from now is, all right, he screwed up. He wasn't there for his kids. He had a drug problem. He was in prison. But here's a man who's kind of rehabilitated, or at least you think. Yeah, you want it to That be. he's kind of gotten his stuff straight. He's trying to be a better father. He's trying to be a better husband. Once again, he may not go about things 100% the best way, but he's looking out for his family, blah, 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 blah. And then in this scene, you see, wow, this dude's got some demons. This guy's got anger. This guy's, I mean, he's not someone you want to mess with. There's a whole other side. It's a Jekyll and Hyde in some respects, you know? But yeah, awesome scene. Awesome scene. Intense God, scene. Ah, the two of them together was so intense. It's a good fight, too. And after what Kennard did, you're kind of rooting for, you know, it's like the enemy of my enemy is my friend. He's sitting there, that last scene that they the blood mm -hmm. out of his mouth, and he's, like, conceding. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. I kind of hate how much I like Yeah. <laughs> mm, good scene. Good scene. I would like to shout out Yenta Mindy, bringing two youngsters together in the name of not love at all. Subtlety is really her middle name. But that was a Stupid fun night on set, the whole bar stuff. Yeah, I mean, any time that we got to get together as a cast, it was fun. It, it was always rare, too. You know, I think we've talked about this on the show before, but I think that there's this idea that just because we're all on the same TV show that we all see each other on a daily basis. And the reality is, and I think I've spoken about this before, when we had Kevin Rankin on, who played Herc in the first season, I didn't actually meet Kevin Rankin until Kevin Rankin and I worked with each other on Grey's Anatomy after the first season of Friday Night Lights. And when we met each other, it was like, dude, I'm a huge fan of your work on FNL. And he was like, I'm a huge fan of your work on FNL. That's kind of the crazy thing about doing these shows is that you don't always get to work with all these people. I mean, Kyle Chandler and I probably only had four scenes together in the first four years of Friday Night Lights. Oh. And then thank God, like in the fifth season, I got to have all these scenes with him because I became a coach. I think maybe I had three or four scenes with Connie Lifetime. So it was always fun when we got to have everybody together in one room and shoot these scenes. Yeah, and not separated by like bench and field too, yeah. or stand and field. So like it was in the same room together. It was really fun. Because that was the other thing too. When you were shooting stuff at the stadium, it's not like we were all sitting in the same row together. It was, you're isolated. Mm -hmm. And shooting was so like scattered. Yeah, but always fun stuff. Loved being at Buddy's Bar. Loved having everybody in the yeah. same room. As much fun as acting is. 90% of the joy really comes in those moments in between scenes, in between takes, 
where you're talking with each other and laughing and joking. Those are good nights. Good nights. Great stuff. Okay, so we're coming to the end of this episode. It was another beautiful ending here to a great episode when Coach is looking down at Gracie Bell in that final moment, and Julie kind of comes into the room behind him and says she's sorry. I didn't mean to disappoint you. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I'm still mad at Julie, but what I'm looking at in that scene is Coach looking at Gracie Bell, and there's like this innocence that this child has, and I can only imagine that in his mind, he's looking down at Gracie Bell and still seeing Julie when she was a child, and knowing that... He's probably going to have to experience this with Gracie Bell as well. He's got 16 more years then. Yeah, I remember I was babysitting my nephew one time. He's just such a good kid. You know what I mean? And you think about all the awful stuff that happens to all of us in life and the things that we have to go through and the trials and the tribulation and the stupid things that we do as teens. And I remember sitting there with my nephew who was sleeping and he was just like had this angelic expression on his face. It almost makes you want to cry because you're sitting there going, I just hope that he can maintain some of this innocence that he still has, that he can hold on to that. The pure stuff. Yeah, it is. You know, and I hope that this world doesn't take it from him, that he isn't destroyed by it. And then he can maintain some of that purity that he has as a kid because he really is just a sweet kid. Now bring out the wooden spoon. (laughs) But I do feel like maybe that's the moment that coaches have in here, you know, and that he feels like a little bit of a failure because Julie's kind of going through this rough patch. Yep. Another fantastic episode. I really dug this one. We got two there back to back in Kingdom and Swerve. Back to back. We can't keep staying on this ride. Anyway, Stace. Yeah. I think we're done here. No, that's going to be it for season five, episode six. But please join us next time for season five, episode seven, entitled Perfect Record with special guest Matt Loria, a.k.a. Luke Cafferty. But until then, clear eyes. Full heart. Can't lose. lose. Clear Eyes Full Arts is a podcast presentation of Blackberry Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Rastano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mindy Wimmer for Blackberry Media, and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Miranda Parham. Send your questions to Pod at gmail.com. And follow us on social media. I'm on Instagram at Stacey Rastano. And I'm also on Instagram at underscore Derek Phillips. Check us out on YouTube and BlackBarrelMedia.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.